let's jump into this. this we're not in a series. If you're, if you're a regular at Westside, you know that we often walk through kind of a, a teaching series over several weeks. And uh, this month is a little bit different. I'll be speaking today. Next week, we have uh, just a wonderful guest named Doug Hebert, who has spent years and years in Burundi and uh, is a Canadian from Southern Ontario. And I just ha- met him for breakfast yesterday. You guys are going to love hearing his story and his message and uh, uh, just an incredible uh, medium or video on uh, just transformation taking place in some pockets there. And so it's, it's really going to be great. I'm so excited for him to be around. I met him in Toronto last month as our bunch of churches from across Canada got together. And he told me he was going to be around. And I thought, oh, Westside has to hear your story and hear... Um, hear what's happening out there. So he's going to be here next week. But today we're going to just do a kind of a one-time message in Romans chapter 14. So if you got your Bibles, um, turn to Romans chapter 14. And I think, I think I'm going to try and read the whole chapter um, because it's one of those chapters that just has, I think, as, as Paul writes this, this uh, letter to the Roman church in the first century, and he gets to this section of the book, um, you know, he, he tries to help this church understand what it means to be a community, what it means to grow together, what it means to serve one another, what it means to consider one another's needs uh, after, after he writes just uh, amazing things in the earlier parts of the letter. So you can follow with me on the screen, you can follow in your Bibles if you have it, or I would even suggest if you want to just like listen to the scriptures being read, uh, that might be a great way to allow God to speak. So we'll start verse 1. Accept the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. You vegans are very happy right now. (laughs) The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another, another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It's written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind to not put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. 
Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us, therefore, make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. For all food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whatever, whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith and everything that does not come from faith is sin. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it's written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, as just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Father, as we just pause and take this scripture in, um, I know it's filled with so much, so many contextual things from that time period, but God, would you just lead us and guide us, intersect our hearts, and regardless of where we are, God, in our spiritual journey, where, whether we're just exploring you today for the first time or we've been walking with you for a while or somewhere in between, please speak to us. Um, God, we lift up some of our youth out in Hudson today. Even as they are listening and learning and worshiping, would you speak to them? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Who's watching the Olympics? Anybody into the Olympics? I'm kind of where Rob is. I'm like, ah, whatever. Like, but, but there's a cool, so cool. Who, any teams you're voting for or like kind of rooting for? Well, Canada. Um, but, you know, there's, there's you know, previous ethnic uh, connections. So um, I think one of the coolest things about the Olympics that they, that they uh, announced, did you guys hear this, that there's a refugee team? I thought that was so cool that, that here are these people that don't have a nation, don't have a place to call home, and they've been given the ability to, um, to participate. And they've really, really, they've been accepted. That word we've, we read in this text. They've been accepted. They've been welcomed in. And I love it because I'm sure that there's people who were against this. I'm sure there's reasons why maybe this shouldn't be the best choice of action. Maybe someone says, well, it's going to set a precedent and what's going to happen. Or maybe there's, a, you know, like what nations are really, are they from? Should we, you know, there's probably all kinds of reasons why someone would have been against this. But regardless, people made this decision to accept them. And I love that word that we find in this text twice 14 chapter 1 and 15 chapter 7, that word accept. It's such a powerful word, and it frames the whole passage that we read today. And that's why I wanted to read it at length, because right from verse 1 in chapter 14 to verse 7 in chapter 15, Paul uses the word accept. You got to just think of the context here for a second. The book of Romans is written to a church in the first century, first century Rome, 
And uh, as Paul writes this book, it's one of the most theologically rich books in the New Testament. In fact, Martin Luther from the 15th century called it a mini gospel, like that the gospel in short form was written in, in this letter to the Roman church. And Paul expands in this book. I mean, it's amazing to read because he talks about what the gospel is, who Jesus is, how the gospel works, how the gospel connects us to God's story, how we live it out. But here for this, 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 se- this little section here in the letter, he puts all these big ideas aside. He puts all these big ideas of doctrine and, and who God is and, and how God is now working in the world, first through Israel and now through his church. He puts all those big ideas aside and he gets down right to the bottom level of community. And he says, okay, you're learning all this stuff. You know all this stuff. You've come to faith in Jesus. But let me ask you, are you accepting one another? Because in this church in Rome, there was, kind, there was multiple groups that have come to faith. In Rome, Rome was a multi, you know, like a diverse city. So there was different people in this church for sure. But there was two specific groups definitely that were there. And it was... Um, people who became Christians from a Jewish background and people who became Christians from a non-Jewish background. Those who became Christians from a Jewish background, they still had this thought in their mind of keeping clean with the food they ate. So if you're wondering, like, why the heck did Paul talk about food so much? And like, this doesn't make sense to me today. In that time period, in that time frame, the Jewish people were following these, these purity laws where what they ate could make them clean or unclean, spiritual or unspiritual, keep them connected to God or disconnected to God. And they followed certain festivals that helped remind them who God was. And when they came to faith in Christ, they still felt these convictions, some of them. Like, I can't touch this meat because it was used in some kind of like idol worship or maybe some guy who cut this meat for some idol worship now cut it for me and I can't touch it. Or this wasn't done in a kosher way or I can't touch it for this reason. Or maybe they have certain days that they, they continue to worship with. And Paul, on the other side, is reaching to everybody in Rome, the whole Roman world. And so he's thinking of non-Jewish people as well. And they have no need to follow these Jewish customs. In fact, the gospel has touched their hearts so deeply that they're free from any of these rules. In fact, even the Jewish believers were free from any of these rules. And Paul talks about these two groups in here, the strong and the weak. The strong were those that he he would include himself in the strong. They have come to terms with the fact that when they came to Jesus, nothing they put in their mouth can make them unclean. Nothing that they, they put in their mouth or that they touch with their hands will, 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 will stop their relationship with God. Paul knew this, that the gospel had that kind of reach. And so the strong were people that realized there's nothing that can separate me from the love of Jesus. Nothing I eat or touch. And then the weak were those that still felt like they needed these rules and regulations But Paul does something interesting. He tells us what they are. He says, these are the strong and these are the weak. He doesn't say, you guys all got to become strong or you all got to become weak. He says, you guys need to figure out how to be followers of Jesus together. You guys need to figure out how to love one another and care for one another, even though some of you have already realized that the gospels freed you from some of these things and some of you are still tied to them and they actually help you keep following Jesus. And so Paul addresses these two groups and he says this amazingly powerful word, the word accept. The word accept. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. 
a disputable matter is something you can debate. It's like, yeah, you know, this is black, this is, this is well, I want to say, no, I like charcoal. I think this is charcoal. And you might say this is gray. Well, I think it's charcoal. Shannon Gallant has a good color palette. She can tell you what, what it really is. But, so we could fight all day if it's charcoal or gray. It's a disputable matter. And Paul's like, stop quarreling over that. When we, but when we read the word accept, I'm sure there's some people in the crowd this morning that will say, oh, wait a second, that sounds like cheap grace. What do you mean accept? Why would I accept that s- someone who's come to faith and doesn't realize they're free from this? Why would I just accept that? Why shouldn't I tell them right away and correct them on the spot and make sure that tomorrow they live differently? Paul uses this strong word, accept. But sometimes the word accept feels like compromise. Sometimes the word accept feels like giving up. Sometimes the word accept feels like, oh, I'm not standing on my convictions anymore. And there's reasons for that. You read the New Testament, Colossians, Galatians, Corinthians, they all speak about the amazing freedom we have in Jesus Christ. And for those that in that day who were coming to Christ, who were being freed from not worrying about what they ate, the gospel actually freed people from that. So why accept people who didn't see it that way? So Paul, he has something bigger at stake. He, he's thinking of the bigger picture. He's thinking of the church and what it means to be a community of Christ followers together. Look at verse 20. It's on the screen. In verse 20, it says this. Can you go to the next one, uh, Beth? I'll, just re- I'll read it off my Bible. So verse, verse 20. No? All right. Then I'll read it. Verse 20 says, Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Paul says this, don't destroy what God is doing just for the sake of food. He's saying unity is bigger than just this. And then he calls everyone to two things, and I think it's really huge for us because when we think about what it means to be God's church or what it means to be God's people, Paul calls this church to be, to be this. And I want you to just think about this one word. And it's so valuable for everything in life, but he's this. He's calling them to be a builder. He's calling them to be a builder. Verse 19 says this, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Every effort to do what leads to peace, and I love that phrase, mutual edification. What does edification mean? Edify means to build. So Paul is saying, do whatever it takes to mutually, one with another, build each other up. He's calling this church to be a builder. Look at verse 2. Each of you should please our neighbors for their good, and for what reason? To build them up. Here's Paul saying, I get it. You guys come from different backgrounds. You've come to faith from different experiences. Some of you are still uh, following these spiritual practices, and some of you realize these spiritual practices don't really make up your faith. But here's the idea. He's saying, can you be builders Can you build each other up into the people God's made you to be? And in a sense, he's saying, do whatever it takes to be a builder. That doesn't mean sweep every disagreement under the rug. It doesn't mean never look at scripture and try and figure out what that means. It doesn't mean that we never, you know, correct each other or admonish each other or even, even, you know, talk to someone who maybe we feel is, is walking down a path that's going to be destructive. He's not saying that, but he's saying, can you take this posture, this vision of what it means to be a builder? And then he says something so powerful in the next few verses. And he says this, it takes a certain kind of strength to be a builder. 
And I don't mean just muscle strength, but it takes a certain kind of strength to be a builder. And as you read this passage, I think Paul gives us a different picture of strength. See, we have, we have like, I'm sure, when I say strong, what comes to your mind? When I say strong. That's good. Anybody else? What comes to your mind? Faith. Faith. Something else? Endurance. Endurance. Say that louder. Empower. I th- huh? No? <laughs> I think of my daughter. My daughter, now she's 12. She's in the room. Sorry, Julia. I'm freaking her out right now. But um, when she was about nine, she loved to arm wrestle people because she was able to kind of beat the 13-year-old boy in arm wrestling. She just had a really strong arm at 13. Try her at nine or 10 years old. You can try her after the gathering and see if she beats you. But, but um, so she would like, she would revel in that. We'd go to someone's house or with family. She's like, come on, let's arm wrestle on the table. That was this sense, you know? And then Franca's mom, who's now in her eighties, like, I have a stronger arm than you, you know? And like, so that's this sense of strength, right? When we think strong, when we think strength, we think powerful, we think muscle, we think com- competition. We think I can beat you. Or you can beat me, right? That's the first thing when we think of what it means to be strong. Isn't that true? And in our competitive world, when we think of what it means to be strong, who's the stronger company? The the company who takes market share. Who's the stronger person? The stronger person is the person who kind of builds things and and keeps moving or does stuff. There's always a sense of what strength means. But here Paul says something. When you're strong in faith... You have a different approach. You have a different posture to yourself. And the first word he uses, speaking to the strong, he says, accept. He says, strong people learn how to accept. Strong people learn how to accept. Verse 1, accept those who are weak in faith. Verse 10, Paul says this. This is another aspect of strength. He says, you then, why do you judge your brother or your sister? Why do you judge your brother or your sister? Why, how do you, why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment. Paul's saying, if you want to be strong, true strength is the ability to be wise in your judgment and to not judge other people. There's a strength in that. Paul obviously judged or discerned the difference between the strong and the weak, Right? Judgment doesn't mean we don't have a difference. I know this is a light, and I know it's not a light. I'm making a judgment call. I can tell you right now that the carpet I'm standing on is not so clean. I'm making a judgment call, right? And so, so that's partly what it means to judge. But Paul is saying, don't, don't bring a conviction, like a conviction, like a judge brings a conviction in a case to your brother and sister over this matter. Don't bring contempt. Because he says, one day God will judge all of us. There's, dis- there's, di- there's disputable matters among us that will, co- will want to divide us. But Paul's saying, think differently. You want to be strong? Don't be quick to judge. You want to be strong? Here's another one. In verse, verse 21, Paul says this. He says uh, at the bottom one, it is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. And up on the top part, not to put any stumbling block or obstacle. So the person who's strong, Paul is saying, you want to be strong? Be wise about how you treat one another, not to put obstacles in their way. Not to put obstacles in their way. I mean, you you could think about it in so many different ways, but that's part of what it means. Don't intend to make someone stumble. And there's different ways that that works today. 
Think about someone who maybe came to faith, you know, four or five years ago, or two people, and they both had um, problems with uh, alcohol addiction. So they both come to faith. One of them comes to faith and realizes when they come to faith in Jesus, Jesus does something so wonderful in their heart, they realize my alcohol has hurt so many people and I feel the pain of that alcohol, I'm never going to touch it again. That's what somebody might do in faith to God, say, I'm never going to touch that alcohol again. Someone else who comes to faith, who also had maybe struggled with alcohol, Jesus transformed their hearts so much. And that person says, God has changed me so much. I don't rely on this anymore. And I'm able to occasionally have a drink. I'm able to occasionally drink moderately. And so here they are batting heads with each other. And the guy who drinks moderately in faith tells the other guy who, for good reason, says, I'm not going to touch it, says, why, you let that alcohol bind you up? That's, you're, you're letting yourself be enslaved to that. And the guy on this day says, why would you even touch that stuff? It was so painful in my life. And both of them in Christ say, it's because of what God has done in my heart. And so Paul's saying, that's a disputable matter. Maybe this person should never touch alcohol again, and there's good reason for it in his, in his or her family. And this person has realized that God, by God's grace, it never becomes addictive anymore. We don't know. But Paul is saying, be careful then not to make each other stumble. Because this guy who, who drinks moderately might say, listen, come on. Jesus, Jesus has your back. Let's go for a drink. And it's like he just makes him fall. Why would he do that? And Paul's saying strong people don't do that. Whether it's this situation or other situations. And look at verse 15, chapter 15, verse 1. He says this, we, are str- we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Someone who's strong learns to shoulder the failings of the weak. That's someone who's strong. Not to please themselves. Isn't that amazing? So strong people don't please themselves They don't pursue just the pleasure of themselves. They're thinking of other people. Karl Barth said these words, any man strong in faith who desires to please himself has a feeble kind of strength. If you say, I'm strong in faith, but you desire just to please yourself, your strength is actually weak. Paul's saying that's not the kind of strength that I'm talking about. In other words, also, in some ways, don't force someone to abandon them. Abandon what helps them in their faith. View it as weak. So here I am. I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian for several years. And I love to journal and read sometimes old classics, like people who are dead now that wrote theology a thousand years ago, right? And someone comes up to me and says, Dave, like, you've been a pastor. You're a Christian. Like, I don't touch any of that stuff. I read my Bible and I pray spontaneously. What's this journaling stuff? You don't have enough faith in God to just speak it out of your mouth? I'm like, well, this, this, is, how I, well, this is how I connect with God and I like to think through my prayers. I write them down and sometimes I really love to see the perspective of what a Christian from 1,300 years ago went through and so it lifts me up. It helps me understand my faith. And this person on the other side says, your faith is so weak. I just like read the Bible. I, I get it and I pray spontaneously and I never have to write this stuff down. And you call yourself a pastor? It's like, oh man, I'm really sorry. And now, so, so all of a sudden, they're trying to force me to take on the spiritual practice that helps them. I could do the same thing. I could say, your faith, your faith is so shallow. 
all you know is whatever you read out of the Bible and you don't even realize that, that, that there's been Christians for 2,000 years. Why don't you read something from 1,000 years ago or 10 years ago? It all just comes out of your mind. And why don't you write it down? If you write it down, maybe you'd think about your prayers. So I could do the same thing. Strength means we don't do that. We learn to encourage one another in our walk. And the last thing about strength is this. We come along those whose faith is weak. I've learned this through cycling with people who are better than me. And um, it's always humbling because when you, when you do anything with someone who's better than you, they always kind of, you know that they're better than you, right? But I've, I've gone cycling with a few people and this is the amazing thing that happens. Um, I love how gracious they are. I, real, I recognize this. So I recognize that when we're cycling, I know in my head that they can go faster. I just know. And I know that they have way better technique than me. I just know because I see their gear compared to my gear. I know how long they've been cycling. I can see their rhythm. And, and I'm feeling in, in my head, I'm thinking, wow, I'm really slowing them down. But something amazing happens when you cycle with people who are strong people, not just in their cycling, but in their heart. They're gracious enough to say, I'm going to slow down a bit so Dave can keep up. Right? And so... And, the, and then they teach me how to, how to pace myself, and, and I learn. And so Paul is saying, when you're strong, you think about those who are coming up behind you. And when you're strong in faith, you don't look at those behind you and say, oh, I'm just going to pass. I'm going to just go ahead. If you have kids and you like to bike with kids, sometimes you feel like, oh my goodness, are we going so slow? Why, you know? <laughs> That's not the characteristic of a strong person. And so in those ways, sometimes I'm weak. But that's the idea. You know, you know when I leave that situation with a friend who cycles with me that way? I, I leave humbled. I leave grateful. I leave learning something. I'm like, not just about cycling, but about what it means to be strong in that situation. And that's what Paul is getting at. And so as we come to wrap this up in a moment, and, and, and even we're going to get a chance to share communion together this morning, wrapping this up, but... I want you to think about this in two ways. The first way is within the church community. Spiritually thinking. What does it mean to be a church? And what does it mean to be a builder in the church? And what does it mean to be strong in your faith? Because Paul's first call here is within the community. So two, three things. First thing, I think it leads us to, to, to seek to understand each other. To say, what are you going through? What are you walking through? Let me hear your story. Let me, let me hear your story. Let me understand where you are. It, it leads us to understand. It leads us to listen so that when we listen, we listen to why somebody's gone through what they've gone through. So the person with the drinking issue doesn't just look at that person and says, you're crazy. God could free you from that. But when they listen and they understand, I've had generations of alcoholism in my family. And I've seen my mother abused because of alcohol. And I've seen the extent of even good people be taken away from alcohol. All of a sudden, when they first say that first word of, I don't touch alcohol, you don't just say, you're enslaved to that. But you say, wait a second, can, I, can you tell me why? So in the spiritual community, you listen to each other. And you understand where you're coming from. And then you aim to build. You understand, you listen, and you aim to build. Because building someone up and correcting them can be two different things. 
Sometimes correction is needed when we build each other up. But building up and correction can be two different things. And Paul says, make every effort to do what leads to mutual edification, to mutual building up. It's so important. Imagine every group, every discussion, every ministry team, every conversation, every decision started with that posture. That we, we came to each other, whether it's a community group, whether it's here this morning, whether it's a conversation, whether it's a conflict, whether it's a decision, whatever it is, where our first aim is, how am I going to build this person up? How am I going to build this group up? How can I build these people up? How can I build my friend up? How can I build this church up? And then that's spiritually within the church. But what, you know, I think what Paul is saying here too overflows into the world. And it, and it affects socially what's happening to the world. And the world can become a witness to what it means to be community. That we can become a witness to what it means to be... Paul says this, he says, please our neighbor for their good. And I think when Paul used the word neighbor, I, I'm going to just take it, you know, that he is also thinking about our neighbors. That Paul could have meant also society. And here's the deal. The church is different than the world, for sure, Right? I hope, I hope that the church is different than the world. I hope that the church and people within God's kingdom live differently than the world. But Paul says, even in our difference, even in our disagreements, even where we think that this is a wrong decision, this is morally not what the scriptures say, this is something else, we would say, oh, wait a second, how can we be strong here, like Paul tells us to be strong? And how could we learn with one another? What would that do socially? What would that do racially in our world? This last summer, we've seen horrific things on the news about racism. Imagine people, imagine there was an overflow from the church to be a witness to the world and said, wait a second, we're going to be strong and our strength is not going to be exerted in aggression. Our strength is going to be exerted in how we can learn to accept one another and learn from each other and hear each other's stories. I think people would look at that and say, I want to see what you guys have. There's something beautiful going on there. There's something awesome there. God's at work. I'm going to invite the team to come up as we move to this, to communion together. And I want us to just think about this together as we close. Um, Paul says all this, and in verse 7, as he, in chapter 15, verse 7, he, here's the last bookend, right? He says the word accept again. Accept one another. And then he says this line, and this throws us all off if we feel that we can't accept. Paul says, accept one another as Christ accepted you. As Christ accepted you. Now let me ask you a few questions. Do you think, do you think that your doctrine is better articulated than Jesus's is? Like, do you think that Jesus agrees with all your doctrine or all my doctrine? Do you think that Jesus agrees or do you think that Jesus is limited to your or my theological capacity? You think that that's the case? Do you think that, that, that he can come and say, hey, you know, hey, Cindy, can I just, you know, like your, how you articulate the gospel, I just want to give you some correction. You think he, he has the ability to do that? I think he probably does, right? And Cindy, I, I know Cindy. I know she loves the gospel and has been transformed by it and can tell it to somebody. But I bet you Jesus can do it better than her or me. And, and here's the last question. Do you think that there's, that everything in your character and your decisions reflect the character of Jesus? Is there no room for change? 
And, and I said all those questions, right? Doctrine, theological capacity, how we tell people the gospel, our own lives, all those things. And you can still be a Christian because none of us fully, fully articulate exactly the gospel that Jesus has, has shown us. Because we're human, we're human, right? And Jesus says, or Paul says, accept one another as Christ accepted you. This is beautiful because I know that I will never have the theological capacity of Jesus. I know that I will never understand doctrine like Jesus does. I know that as, as much as God is shaping me and changing me and, 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 and rubbing with my character to make me grow into a better person, I will never ever fully on this side of eternity reflect the character of Jesus. I know that's the case. And as much as I can sit and tell you what the gospel is, I know Jesus can do it better. But by faith and by grace, I have come into a relationship with Jesus. Even though I have those issues, I'm growing in them. But Paul says, accept one another as Jesus accepted you. So powerful. Accept one another as Christ accepted you. We serve the same Lord. Paul says, we're all servants. He says, we're all servants. None of us are masters. There's only one master. The master is Jesus. And he says, one day we're all going to bow before him. One day, all, everyone will bow before Jesus. That means that when any of you, if any of you are beside me in eternity and it's time to bow before Jesus, none of us will bow to each other. None of us. I can promise you, no one's going to bow to me and I won't bow to you. We're all going to bow forward to Jesus because one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord and he is the ultimate ruler and king. So as we come this morning, we're going to take communion together. And I want us to think about these elements as we do. I'm going to invite you to stand as we move into this portion of our gathering and uh, just the next few minutes together. And just to consider this. First of all, consider that Jesus has accepted you. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loves us. He's died for us. He's invited us through the cross and the resurrection to have brand new life in him and a promised eternity in the fullness of, of the restoration of all things. He's ex- and, and it says he's accepted us, not because of our own merit, not because of our own goodness, not because of our own articulation of his will, but because of his love for us, because of what Jesus did on the cross for you and me. So this morning, we're going to take these elements, the wine and the bread, and we're going to remember that Jesus gave his life for us. And he, he entered that so we might be accepted as we respond to him in faith and by grace. Father in heaven, we are so grateful we stand here before you. You are God. And for the sake of your glory, for the sake of your name, for the sake of your church and your kingdom, for the sake of your mission. God, may we become builders in your community. May we become people who are strong in faith, the kind of strength that doesn't look to please ourselves but looks to the needs of others, the kind of strength that looks for those who are just behind us, the kind of strength that would cause us to pause and listen and understand and at times empathize, the kind of strength that would have ears to hear the hearts of people, and then the kind of strength 
that would lead us to shoulder each other's burdens, to shoulder each other's questions, and together that we would serve you and lead one another to love you and to serve you and to follow you into your truth. God, we long to be those kind of people. We long to be that kind of church. May that grow within us and may that become a witness to the world around us so that socially the world, Lord, with all the needs and brokenness in the world, may you use us to allow your hope to overflow from here to the world around us, whether it's racial tension, political tension, aggressive violence, greed or consumerism, God. May your hope overflow out. May we be a witness of that to the world around us, God. And we say thank you because you've empowered us to do this in Jesus' name, our ruler and our leader and our Lord. In his name we pray today, God. Amen.